We always have so many things to tell our audience about here at Intelligence Squared, so when I'm needing a top-down view of it all, I don't want to feel like I'm looking at organised chaos. That's why I really love Notion, which lays out different threads of work in a beautifully designed layout, and despite all of its clever AI tech going on in the background, it feels as clear and easy as putting pen to paper. Remember that? But with Notion, you can do a lot more than jot down a few thoughts. Notion is a place where any team can write, plan, organize, and rediscover the joy of play. And thanks to its AI-powered model, the way it works is so intuitive, every question has an answer. I still love my paper notebook, but sitting next to Notion, it might need to up its game a little bit. Try Notion for free and up your game too when you go to notion.com slash squared. That's all lowercase letters, notion.com slash squared, lowercase. So you can start turning ideas into action. And when you use the link, you're supporting a Intelligence Squared 2. That's Notion.com slash squared. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Hello and welcome to this episode of Intelligence Squared. I'm senior producer Connor Boyle. When writer and musician Eliza Hull was pregnant with her first child, like most parents-to-be, she felt a mix of nerves and excitement. But as a disabled person, she faced added complexities. Would the pregnancy be too hard? Would people judge her? Would she cope with the demands of parenting? On the 24th of May 2023, Hull came to Intelligence Squared where she discussed the themes of her new anthology, We've Got This, essays by disabled parents about the highs and lows of parenting and the great obstacles that lie in other people's attitudes. To hear the full-length episode of this event and to support our mission to foster honest debate and compelling conversations, head over to intelligencesquared.com slash membership today. Now, over to our host, writer and campaigner, Lucy Webster. Hello and welcome to this Intelligence Square event. So, welcome, Eliza. How are you doing? Yeah, good. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Thank you for talking to me tonight. I love your book. I just read it again. Could you talk a little bit to start with about how the book came about, what it is and why you felt it was important? Yeah, so I guess it came about due to my own lived experience. So I have a condition that's called Charcot-Marie Tooth. It's a neurological condition and I've had it since I was five years old. And the way that it affects me is that I you know, walk very differently and I fall over a lot uh, and I have muscle loss and sensation loss in my body. And I guess for a very long time throughout my life, I hid my disability whenever I could, meaning that often I would sit down instead of walk in front of people. And that was because of the ableism that I faced throughout my life and you know, bullying that I faced at school. I was very lucky, though, that I grew up in a family that 
always had, you know, very high expectations for me and really had not only wanted me to have children, but kind of expected it. They, they really wanted to be grandparents and, you know, wanted our family, I guess, to continue. And that meant that I always just had that idea that I always, you know, wanted to have children. And so I was very shocked when I went to my neurologist who I had been seeing for most of my life and who I really trusted. And he told me that, he didn't think that I should become a parent and he didn't think that I'd be able to manage and he was worried. He thought that I would fall over when I was holding my baby and ultimately said that he didn't think that it was a good idea. And I, at the time, had just met my partner that I wanted to start a family with. I was feeling really happy and excited, but that kind of changed everything. I felt a lot of shame. I felt vulnerable and I started to believe him and I went back to my partner and I said maybe this is not for us but luckily he said you know that's not true and that we can do this and that was when I started to look online all I really did was type into uh, you know into the internet disabled parents and what I found really surprised me there was such a lack of representation and not only that there was a, a really strong narrative around it being a burden for a child to have a parent with a disability and so during that time instead of feeling shame what I actually ended up feeling it really changed me I felt really fired up and I realized that there is just so many barriers that disabled people face and so I decided to apply for a scholarship with the ABC, which is um, the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. It's the equivalent of the BBC. And luckily I was the recipient of the scholarship and the podcast series with the ABC was titled We've Got This. And I was very surprised at how well it went. All the broadcasting channels picked it up and the greatest kind of feedback I had was from non-disabled people saying that the podcast series had changed their mind, that they had held on to views that maybe people with disabilities shouldn't become a parent or can't be a parent. So in the back of my mind, I had always wanted it to be a book. I feel like books are resources that live forever. So I went to a publisher and luckily it got published in Australia and then is now published through Scribe in the UK and the US. And so it features my story and also the stories of 30 disabled people, deaf and disabled parents, where I've interviewed those parents and then some of them have contributed their own writing. And so it's a, it's a huge cross-section of various disabilities and various experiences that really show the complexities, the barriers, but also how as disabled people we make incredible parents because we are set up really to be creative thinkers, problem solvers and adaptable because we live in an inaccessible world and so we've really learnt those skills as we've grown. For me, I mean, since I was five years old, I've really had to learn ways to be adaptable and then brought that into my parenting. So I think that we, we do make great parents ultimately. Obviously, I have to agree. You have interviewed and had contributions from people with a variety of different impairments and disabilities. I think reading the book, what was so interesting was 
how many recurring themes there were despite all the differences. Which of those themes really stood out to you and why do you think they're so common? Hmm. I think you're spot on there. I think the most reoccurring theme was medical discrimination. So for me, that is definitely the space that needs the most education. And, you know, often doctors and medical professionals are reaching out, uh, midwives, and saying that this has been used as a resource and as a learning tool. So that's incredible. But yeah, often, you know, for instance, in the book, there are deaf parents that are congratulated when their child passes the hearing test and, and, you know, said, oh, congratulations, they're not like you. The blind not given a tour around the hospital so that they then don't know how to get around. And parents with intellectual disability having their, their children taken without being given any education or support. So I think the discrimination in the medical space, but also the ableism when it comes to passing on disability. So a lot of judgment. But I think, I mean, that's a, it's a very complex subject. And for me, I, I do have a 50% chance of passing on my disability. But ultimately, I still am worried about my children having my disability, not because I'm afraid of my disability, but because I know what and world we live in where we face discrimination, where we live in, in a world that still holds disability as a deficit, as something to be feared, and we live in an inaccessible world. So I'm not afraid of them being disabled. I'm afraid of the world that they uh, live in, really, ultimately. And in the end, I decided to have children because, you know, I've lived with my disability all my life and I've had a great life. I've, you know, I've I feel like disability has made me who I am today and I wouldn't change it. And so I chose to have children and I think that the medical professional really needs more education about how to speak about disability, language, but also how to treat disabled people. There is so so much stigma still that needs to shift and change in that space. I think the other things that were really common throughout the book was what I mentioned before, just how the greatest barriers are out in society. It's not what happens inside the home. In fact, because we are disabled, we are incredibly adaptable. And I think the book shows that time and time again, how we adapt and how creative we are in the ways that we adapt, Uh, whether that be using certain adaptive technology to parent you know, cutting off the baby change table so that it's at the right height for somebody with dwarfism, using a a cot that the door goes up and down if you're a wheelchair user, you know, various ways to parent that shows, I guess, that real creative thinking and problem solving and skills inside the home. It's really what happens outside that actually is the problem, the discrimination that we face and the barriers that we face. Yeah, I think that was so stark in the book. No one was really facing challenges because they were disabled, but because of the way that society was reacting to parenting. Yeah, I'm not a parent, but I know that's true of so many things with disability. 
You can see on our thing eight and three, is that right? I just love to know how you've navigated this attitude and kind of let them get to you or let them get to you but then got back up again. Mm, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's it's not always easy, <laughs> that's for sure. Um, you know, even today, there was just a moment where I thought, wow, would it be great to not be tired and not to be not to be in pain and my son got upset today that I couldn't run with him down the hill but then I always flip it around and go well I bring so much to my family and after that I was sitting there and we were singing a song together and we do craft activities and I think we all bring different things to the family and I think that that's what makes a family wonderful You know, I might not be able to do some things, but I can do a lot of other things. Sponsoring the show for this episode is Marquee TV. Marquee TV is a streaming service with a difference. It's bringing you the top tier of performing arts straight into your living room or onto your device. So think dance, theatre, music, anything you might find in the West End, Broadway, or maybe a cool little experimental space too, but saving you the cost of a few tickets as well. I've got happily a bit lost in their vast library of performances, exclusive interviews, and behind-the-scenes content. Choreographer Jonathan Watkins' interpretation of George Orwell's classic 1984 was pretty cool, and I love the dance piece, Sutra, inspired by the skills of Buddhist Shaolin monks. And we've got a special treat for our listeners. Marquee TV offers three months of access for just 99 cents. That's right, three months for only 99 cents. With the code squared, simply visit marquee.tv and use the promo code squared to dive into the world of arts like never before. Bring the arts home with Marquee TV. The events calendar is filling up here at Intelligence Squared and to create each one we obviously rely on some brilliant guests and onstage talent. But behind the scenes there's also a producer, a production team and the budget in the mix too. You've got to keep an eye on all of that stuff in one place. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory and HR into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. And you can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because it's super easy to get started. NetSuite exists in the cloud, you see, no hardware needed. So you're cutting IT costs too. That's why over 37,000 companies have already made the move. And now by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash squared. That's netsuite.com slash squared. netsuite.com slash squared. In terms of how I've dealt with society's perception of being a disabled parent. I think, you know, there are a couple of examples that I mention in the book. You know, for instance, there was a time when my daughter fell over and we were walking together and, you know, somebody that I'd never met before just kind of remarked, well, why don't you pick her up? Just pick her up. And I said, oh, look, I can't. I can't just pick her up. And just the look that I got, whereas I can actually just move her to the side and we can sit down together. Uh, that was fine. You know, I was able to soothe her. Or, you know, a parent where I was in the kindergarten line at the time, it was during COVID and, and the children were having to 
go one by one. So it was stagnated and staggered rather. <laughs> and I, I overheard uh, this parent speaking to their child and the child said, why does she walk like that? What's wrong with her? And the parent and I had just had a conversation the week before about how I was disabled and a disability advocate and had been working on We've Got This. And she instead said that I'd been in a bad accident. And I realised then that people are just afraid to even use the word disability and are so scared to maybe get it wrong so that they, they don't even want to step in and, and, and to say that she has a disability. But it was a, a real telling moment that when we walked into the kinder, my daughter looked up and said to me, Mum, you weren't in an accident, you're disabled. And she just looked at me with a giant smile on her face. And I think that was a, a real moment of realising that she's proud of, of me and she's proud of what I'm doing and she doesn't fear disability because we have disabled people in our home or, you know, my friends have a disability. I have children's books that explore and represent disabled people and it's, it's not stigmatised in, in our home at all. And I think also by having a disabled parent, I've seen just how kind she is and how accepting and inclusive she is in the schoolyard. Um, she's now in year two and the teacher time and time again will say to me what a wonderful child she is within the school ground. And I think that that comes from seeing me and understanding diversity and not fearing it or not stigmatising it and instead celebrating it. So I think that often people will look at what, you know, this idea that you, you know, take away from your children by being disabled. I, I say the opposite. I say that we build really incredibly kind and inclusive children. Yeah, I mean, think kids actually get it much more than adults. They haven't been conditioned yet to feel different and positive diversity model to them. They will take that in and use that in the rest of their life, which is why I think your kids' book is also so important and so great. Do you want to talk a little bit about the message there and and the house gone. Yeah, the children's book. Yeah. Yeah, so that it is, it's called Come Over to My House. And it's kind of like the, the sister book of We've Got This. Uh, and it is a real a, a representation of a lot of the people that you meet in We've Got This. So, for instance, there's a deaf mother, a blind mother, a family, a father and son that have dwarfism a child that's a wheelchair user and a parent and a child have uh, autism and inside the home you get to see how they live and you get invited inside their home and their home is colourful and fun but it shows that they do live a, a bit differently but it's nothing to be feared, it's nothing to be stigmatised and instead it actually makes for a really fun play date because the child that gets invited into each uh, home ultimately has a wonderful time. So it's been a, 
again, really wonderful to hear families reading this and writing and saying that they didn't really know how to speak about disability in the home and it's been a great conversation starter. And, you know, ultimately the aim was to, I guess, A, B representation for these families to see a family like yours in a book is, is pretty incredible because of the lack of representation that we've had for so long when it comes to disabled people, but also to see families with disability in such a positive way and, you know, ultimately be a way that parents can have conversations in the home because often children, when they're not educated inside the home and those conversations don't happen, they go out in society and they either fear disability, so not want to potentially even look at a disabled person because they're scared, or sometimes they might ask, I guess, quite intrusive questions like, what happened to you? What's wrong with you? And this can be hard for disabled people that have to then educate children time and time again. So I think it's best if these conversations do happen inside the home so that our children from a young age realise that diversity is what makes the world wonderful. It's, it's the real world. 20% of the population in Australia um, have a disability. And I think that if we don't have that representation from a really early age, it, it can be something that is ultimately stigmatised even later in life as children grow up. So interesting to hear you talk about representation because that really something I wanted to ask you about. Um, we're both writers who write about disability and we know so well how little representation there is and that's even more so when it comes to disabled parenting. And I wondered why you think that is, but also do you think it's Look, why do I think that is? Um, <clears throat> like when we look at TV or film or, or uh, you know, they're really, I, I actually, when I was thinking about being a parent, a disabled parent, I couldn't think of a film that accurately represented a disabled parent. And I think that that's really telling. I think that for too long, we, ha we haven't had disabled people in writing rooms when it comes, you know, in, as a director of films, in leadership positions, in employment. Uh, you know, a lot of disabled people still live below the poverty line. So I think that those spaces haven't been enabled for disabled people. So I think that's one of the problems. I also think that for too long, we've held on to ableist views that uh, disabled people don't have relationships, don't have sex, don't have marriages, don't have children, can't parent, shouldn't parent, shouldn't pass their disability on. All of these views are outdated and I think that that's the reason representation hasn't been at a level it should. But I do think that bit by bit this is changing. This is the first book of its kind which I just cannot believe. I couldn't believe that. I thought, wow, you get given so many parenting books. There are just stacks of parenting books out there. And there wasn't a parenting book about disability. And I think that that 
was just again that like wow can't believe this I think that this book is a way for disabled people to feel empowered to be a parent whatever way that looks you know it might be looking after a niece or a nephew it might be fostering it might be adopting and I think in those particular spaces there is one writer Micheline Lee who speaks about discrimination she faced when she tried to adopt that she had to almost pretend that she wasn't disabled just so that she could get through to the next stage and I, I'm really hoping that this book shifts that because families ultimately what they need is love like that's what makes a great family when parents are dedicated when parents give love to their children and and a family has love it doesn't matter how a family you know lives when it comes to how we do things and how we adapt and change because of our disability so I think that that the, again, there's just so much ableism in those spaces and I hope that this book reaches adoptive agencies, medical professionals, so that this discrimination stops and, and further representation happens. I found that particularly really powerful because I was recently told by an adoption agency that I wouldn't be allowed to adopt because my care needs, and there was no kind of understanding of what care actually is. Like, they heard that I had care, and that was that. And, you know, reading that, okay, different situation, but the similar one reflected back to me was powerful and emotional, and I wondered, as the person putting this book together and doing those interviews, hearing people's experiences, which are often great, but sometimes really tough. What was that experience like for you? I did an event this week, actually, where somebody said that they've been trying to foster for so long and the discrimination is stopping them from um, moving forward in in that process and it's that's a like that's a tricky thing to support that person through that because it's it's true it's not like we're there yet we're not there yet and there's still so much work that needs to be done but I am reading and hearing anecdotally that uh more disabled people are able to adopt, more disabled people are able to foster, even if they have very high care and support needs. So I think I'm starting to see change, but it is hard to hear of the barriers when they're so... uh, they They just don't seem to end. And... I think also when I first did the uh, audio series with the ABC, I also wanted to include a person that had been sterilised as a child because people don't realise that disabled people are still being sterilised as children or young people without their consent and that is then affecting them throughout their life forever. And um, so I did include one person that lived in Australia to share her experience of being sterilised as a child and not knowing what was happening to her body, not being told what was happening, and then now not being able to be a parent, 
having that choice completely taken from them without their consent. And I think it was important to speak about that. And I do mention that in my introduction in the book as well. There are still so many issues and so much ableism and people are still having their choice taken from them, whether that be being sterilised as a young person or having the choice taken from them by authorities, whatever that looks like. So I guess, again, it just makes me realise how much work needs to be done. And I feel like art, theatre, music, you know, whatever that looks like, writing and books can change the world. They can change law. They can change people's minds. And I'm really hoping that this book reaches the people it needs to, um, that have been told they can't be a parent, have been told they shouldn't be a parent. And I guess I hope this empowers them to keep going. But I also hope that it changes people's minds that might be, you know, stepping in the way of uh, disabled people becoming parents. That dual purpose is really important because disabled people need to be told by other disabled people that this is possible and not only possible but positive and, and can go really well. And, but also, yeah, that that's only true if society enabled it. Uh, I was really conscious of reading your book that it had those two kind of audiences, disabled people and non-disabled people. I know that's something I talk about with my editors as well. And I wonder how you kind of balance those in a way, competing audiences um, in a way that felt authentic? Mm, yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think ultimately the stories just had to be interesting like and impactful and uh, ultimately they're just really great human stories that whether you have a disability or not, whether you're a parent or not, they're really interesting and unique and at times funny and I think that you learn a lot through reading these stories and you know a lot of my non-disabled friends and family and wider audience I think that it's been really great that they've stepped in and read the book and you know some of the people that have read it and reached out have said that they've never read anything from a disabled person ever and that that they really enjoyed the book and I was always thinking about that I was always thinking about them as an audience you know just making sure that the stories are really captivating and interesting which I think all of them are and then also you know being the story that I know that I needed when I had been told that I shouldn't be a parent by my neurologist if I had read a book like we've got this I think that that would have been so timely and incredible. So I was always thinking about that version of myself as the audience as well, so that ultimately it does show that, you know, we've got this and that we we do make great parents and that you, you can be a parent, even if you've been told that you can't. I imagine you have, but if you had disabled people getting in touch and you've encouraged them or giving them some confidence? 
Absolutely. Yeah, I, I have tried to keep all the stories that have come through, like screenshot them if they've come through on email or on social media. Sometimes people will write to me in tears and to say that they had really doubted themselves. Sometimes family members might even say that they shouldn't be a parent or can't be a parent and that this book has really empowered them and now some of them have said they're they're trying to have a baby now so it's really enabled them to step forward in their journey and I think that that's probably been the most positive feeling to be honest you know one one of them and just also disabled parents that have already had children that now are reading the book Sometimes people have had little babies and are listening to the audiobook or reading the book during those first early weeks and months that can feel <laughs> so overwhelming. Just to have a book like this has felt like a friend. So that again has been really, really wonderful to get those messages. That's so lovely. I'm sure you were conscious when you were compiling the book that disabled people would be looking to it, as you say, they wouldn't really anything before. I wonder if that made it tricky or if you had to think a lot about the balance between the positive and the realistic negative that comes with the territory. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I think that I just wanted to be honest. I wanted to be accurate. I wanted to show that there are barriers, that there are hard times, that the positives, the humour, and because I knew that it was going to be read by so many disabled people and be that representation that I was seeking, that felt quite heavy, I'm not going to lie. And I do remember there was one particular week or maybe even a month where I didn't sleep because the first version of the book which went out in Australia the title was slightly different and that is because the podcast series which went with the ABC it was actually we've got this uh parenting with a disability and then when I then turned it into the book I ummed and ahed about whether to use people with disability Uh, parents with disability or disabled parents. So using identity first language or person first language. And I think we're talking a couple of years ago now. So I think even now I'm feeling a real push towards identity first language, which I am loving. (laughs) But at the time I was nervous because I wanted to make sure that I was just representing as many people as possible. I didn't want to hurt people. I didn't want people to go hold on, like we use people first language. Like I wanted it to be a representation for as many people as possible. And at that time, that felt very scary, that decision. And now I look back and realise that it was always going to be disabled, (laughs) disabled parents. And what was I thinking? (laughs) That it was just, as I said, years and years ago, that first, that first version of the book when we were working on it. And I still, yeah, went forward and chose disabled parents. The first version was stories by disabled parent. And this version in the UK and the US is essays by disabled parents. And uh, I think more and more we are moving towards identity first language. And I think that that is because disability is a part of who we are. And it's something that ultimately 
we are pushing up against people's negative assumptions about disability and instead being proud of who we are. And so I think that's why I wanted identity first language. To me, a person with a disability feels like something that you can take on and off. You can just kind of, not, you know, not have a disability some, you know, a day and it's like like an accessory, like a handbag. <laughs> but for me, it's it's part of who I am. I'm a disabled person. I'm a disabled parent. I've got one last question for you before we open up the Q&A. One big question is, um, what advice do you have now for disabled people who are thinking about uh, read this book, <laughs> follow other disabled people online. There are so many social media pages now that are for disabled parents. It's in great community and just to be able to have that connection with others and ask lots of questions is, is a really great start. Trust in your ability to parent, push up against the ableism and discrimination and stigma And if you want to start a family and that's what you want to do, ultimately don't give up. And I think that this book will show you that we as disabled people, as I have mentioned time and time again, we do make great parents and we've got this. And what would you say to your younger self now, worrying about this? (sighs) That's, yeah, I guess I would say... Stop being afraid of who you are. Stop being ashamed of who you are. And don't listen to neurologists that tell you that you can't be a parent. Because imagine if I had have listened to him. You know, I wouldn't have had the great family that I have. I've got an eight-year-old daughter and a three-year-old boy. And our life is great. And yes, there are challenges and there are barriers in society and still discrimination that I face. I still get stopped and prayed for on the street. I still get stared at and laughed at. But ultimately, I'm creating a family that's full of love, that celebrates disability and diversity in the home, and we're thriving. Thanks for listening to this episode of Intelligence Squared. To hear the rest of the conversation, visit intelligencesquared.com slash membership. This event was produced by executive producer Hannah Kay, with editing by executive producer Rowan Slaney. We'd love to hear your feedback and what you think we should be talking about next, who we should have on and what our future debates should be. Send us an email or a voice note with your thoughts to podcasts at intelligencesquared.com. And if you'd like to hear more, attend some of our live events or peruse over 20 years of our back catalogue featuring some of the world's great minds, then head over to intelligencesquared.com. Thank you.